0: Father, we do thank you, God, that your grace is enough. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would remember us. You have. You have been faithful uh, throughout all generations, Lord. You've been faithful, Lord, to provide uh, for your people, the Israelites. You've been faithful to provide for us uh, through Jesus Christ. And, uh, Lord, today we, um, we lift up uh, our brother and, uh, and sisters, Lord, and the family of the Stevens as we remember uh, the beautiful saint That Carol was as she passed to go and be with you this week. We thank you, God, for her life, her service, and the joy uh, that she has brought to so many. And, Father, we pray that you would remember uh, the Stevens family today, that you'd encourage them, that your grace would be enough. We lift them up to you. Lord, we ask, God, that you would sustain them and encourage Ron and Jen and Emma Father, we give you thanks, Father, that you are not only the author of life, but you're the giver of new life, eternal life. And Lord, she is ultimately healed. Carol is with you, and she's more alive than ever. And God, I just uh, we just pray, Father, right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, uh, that you would be a Lord over our lives. God, we know there's other people in our congregation who are ailing. We know that there are others in this uh, within my earshot who are having family who are going through loss. Lord, we pray that your grace would be enough. We ask, God, that your faithfulness would be known and that you would continue to be, um, to be the God that you are, the strong God that said, be strong and courageous for I am with you. Lord, we, uh, we love you. We thank you again uh, that, um, uh, that the, uh, the grave does not have the last say uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you again that this life is not all there is and that you are creating for us um, so much more. So we give you thanks, and we love you, and, uh, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. want to encourage you to uh, take out your Bibles this morning. And I'm going to move this. I don't know if it's on or what's going on here, but I'm going to move it over here. Hopefully, hopefully you can hear me pretty well. How's that? Good. Pretty good. Hey, uh, thanks again. How about a hand for the guys who built this deck yesterday? And uh, it is not finished. We didn't get the permit, uh, but we're going to be uh, putting in some permanent things in here. But I think it's pretty strong, and I'm, I'm not uh, weighing too much today, so I think it should hold me. If, if it held Christian and Luke and Dell, So that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, thank you for doing that. We're going to be, um, we're talking this morning about the ministry of encouragement. And I'm just going to be point blank and just tell you and ask you, uh, who is encouraging you in your life? Because I don't know about you, but I need encouragement regularly. Uh, we all do. Who is encouraging you? And who are you encouraging? That's, uh, that's really the message. If you check out, that's all you need to know. See you later. Um, but, uh, that's where we're going to go today. And we're going to look at several scriptures. So I hope you have a Bible. I hope that you bring it. If you are on the phone with the Bible, that might be quicker for some of you. Um, but we're going to be moving around. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians 2. And, um, uh, that's kind of where we're going to begin. There was a city guy who was a story of him who dro- drove out to the country one day. He was cruising on his uh, sports car, and a dog came running across the, uh, the, um, the road. And he, he tried to you know, miss the dog, and he ended up in a ditch. And he was stuck, and he couldn't get himself out. And he just sat there waiting for someone to come. And a farmer came, and the farmer came, and he had a big, giant, uh, big, giant horse with him to pull the, to pull the uh, car out. And so he attaches the, uh, you know, the horse to the, to the bumper of this guy's car. And, uh, you know, he basically, you know, says, all right, Nellie, pull. Nothing happens. And he says, Buster, pull. Nothing happens. You know, Custard, pull. Nothing happens. You know. Finally, he says, Buster, pull. And the horse just literally just pulls the entire car out of the ditch. And the, uh, the guy from the city is like, wow, that was oh, so awesome. He's so appreciative. Thank you for doing that. And then he asked the farmer, he goes, why did you call out four names when your horse only responded to one? The farmer smiled. He said, oh, Buddy here, Buster, Buster is blind. And if he thought he was the only one, he would not even bother to try. <laughs> you know, just like Buddy, we need other people to bring out the best in us. As the scriptures say, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Solomon wrote that in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me say that again. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. God has created us to be in community, part of a family, part of a church. It's very difficult to live the Christian life alone. It can be done but like the verse says, one can be overpowered. The devil will find you easily when you have others who are standing with you, even though they are not always physically present. <laughs> like in, in Buster's uh, point, you can draw strength and encouragement and support. We really do need each other. Uh, I want you to see uh, Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a, a, is a city today in Greece. At that time, it was in northern Macedonia. It was a church that they planted in the book of Acts. And uh, I'm not going to do an expositional passage today. I'm going to jump around, but I just want you just to get us started here because I want you to see that Paul's ministry uh, and the ministry of the gospel and how we minister to other people. And what we mean by minister is serve, encourage, bless, uh, enable others to connect with God. And as I'm reading through this, and and you're reading this in 1 Thessalonians 2, I want you just to look at at just some of the ways and what what Paul emphasizes and how he ministered to the people there. Okay, Uh, If you don't know much about the Thessalonians and the the two letters, it's a great book. The theme of 1 Thessalonians is encouragement in the midst of persecution. Uh, Paul celebrates the church's future hope. Uh, as they were, uh, as they remain faithful to Jesus and flourish in their faith despite persecution. Seems like every book in the New Testament is about persecution. <laughs> uh, the church is somehow dealing with persecution. So, if you're wondering if this persecution that we're facing or you're facing is new, it's not. First uh, Thessalonians two says, "You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and had been." treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Uh, They were beaten, they were run out of town. There was a lot of things that were happening there, but they said, you know what, we're going to still share the gospel. Verse 3, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Isn't that amazing? So Paul here is saying, you know what? It wasn't about us. It wasn't about us putting on a a mask. It wasn't us trying to manipulate or persuade you. It was just, you know, God is our witness. We were just trying to love you. Now look how he switches here, verse 7. He says, instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's a great verse. If you're uh, into memorizing verses or life verses, this is a great verse for ministry, verse 8. Let me read it again. We cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toll and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. And this is a verse I want you to see, verse 12. How does a father deal with his own children? Encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory that's the ministry that Paul had and that's the ministry that God calls us to as parents and as disciplers you know the mission of our church is to make disciples look at verse 12 encouraging comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory and then I love verse 13 And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Wow. That's powerful stuff. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that your word is alive in us. Father, I ask in Jesus' name today that we would receive your word We would receive the word of your encouragement, your Holy Spirit, that we'd focus on Christ, that we would build one another up. And Lord, I pray that you would give us an understanding of what it looks like to encourage one another. Father, I thank you for um, Paul's example. And I thank you for the people in my life who have encouraged me. I, I, I thank you for the people who have urged me and who have comforted me. God, you have been so faithful to provide people in my time of need, other men, other pastors, other brothers in Christ, my wife, my best friend. Father, you have been so good to me. Lord, I I just wish that everybody who could hear my voice could also give thanks for someone that you have put in their life who loved them this way and encouraged them and blessed them. Lord, as we look at your word today, I pray that your spirit would guide us. Guide my words as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, we're going we're to move along here, and I want to give you guys an understanding of, of encouragement and what that looks like. Uh, some of you might have heard the story of the little boy who was afraid of the dark. One night his mother told him to go out on the back porch and bring her the broom. <laughs> the little boy turned to his mother and said, Mom, I don't want to go out there. It's dark. Mother smiled reassuringly at her son and said, You don't have to be afraid of the dark. Jesus is out there. He'll look after you and he'll protect you. The little boy looked at his mother with a confused stare and asked, Are you sure he's out there? Yes, I'm sure. He's everywhere. and He's always ready to help you when you need him. The little boy thought about that for a minute and then went back to the back door and cracked it a little, peering out into the darkness. He called, Jesus, if you're out there, would you please hand me the broom? You know, sometimes we just we need Jesus with skin on, don't we? You know, we do. We we it, it's we we, we want to believe in Jesus. We want to trust Him, but we also need people in our life to show us the love of Jesus, and uh, that's what Paul is talking about here about ministry and about encouragement. Um, and I just want to give you a couple other verses in in, a, in Thessalonians. I mean, several. The word encourage appears several times at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4. He talks about how he's talking about how the people who who have died and he uses this word for sleep. And this is very relevant because people in our congregation have have passed recently and they've gone to be with the Lord and he says, "You know what?" They're sleeping. They're with the Lord. And you know what? We're all going to go be with the Lord someday. The Lord is going to come back and he reigns and, and we're all going to be changed. And, and, and he talks about the resurrection. And then at the end of verse, chapter 4 and verse 18, he says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then in chapter 5, he does the same thing. He talks about how uh, you know there's other things going on with people are out of work, people are struggling, there's persecution. And he says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. What does it mean to encourage? Well, the Webster's Dictionary uh, says this, to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope, uh, to attempt to persuade, to urge, to spur on, to stimulate, to give help or patronage. Uh, to foster, to support or approval. Most of us, when we think of encouragement, we think of somebody like a, a coach that inspires us. Or we watch a movie and there's a great speech in the movie that kind of cheers us on. And we, we don't feel like going on anymore, but somebody kind of gives us those words. Or somebody comes alongside us and says, I believe in you. You can do it. You know, yay, you can do this. Don't give up. And we need that. That's good. But that's not biblical encouragement fully that's worldly encouragement and and it's very valid it's very helpful we all need that and so when I say who is encouraging you today and who are you encouraging I want to move you those of you who are believers in Christ specifically to the ministry of encouragement what does biblical encouragement look like okay because it's a little bit different Um, and I want to teach you guys a word the word is parakaleo everybody say parakaleo Parakaleo. It's a Greek word. Para uh, means to throw alongside. Kaleo is to call or to come. Okay, and uh, you might know, you might have heard of the word parable. Jesus spoke in parables all the time. He would tell stories, and that 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 word is parabolo, which means to. He would throw along uh, an earthly story uh, or a story that would help understand a heavenly meaning. Parakaleo is the word for encourage in the Bible. It's used over 109 times in the New Testament. And it's translated in different ways. But the, 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 the ultimate thing is, it's, it's to come alongside somebody and to call them. And the words that are used, actually the word that's used the most is urge, beg, appeal. Uh, in fact, it's used in the Gospels predominantly of the demons begging Jesus, don't. <laughs> urging, you know, him not. Or, or the demon-possessed man who gets healed and says, I want to go with you. He begs Jesus to go with him. Like this urging or this appealing. Uh, Jesus uses it and says, I, 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 I exhort you. The word I exhort is similar to encourage. It's the same Greek word. And that's the idea, again, to um, not only to warn, but to, to speak truth and to talk, uh, to talk truth. So it, it, sometimes it's comforting, too. Sometimes the word is comforting. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 1, where it talks about being comforted. And the word is the same word. So encouragement takes on different facets Biblical encouragement, and I want to I want to give you guys just an idea of what this uh, what this looks like. Uh, in Ephesians four, he says, "I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called." I urge—that's that's the the word encourage. I encourage you. You say, "Well, why do I need encouragement?" Jesus said, "In this world, you will have trouble." <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, we're constantly being attacked. The Bible says we're in a spiritual battle. Um, If you are at all trying to seek to follow Christ, you know that there are many times where you feel discouraged. And I want to encourage you today that you're not alone. Um, Pastors are probably one of the most uh, common people who face discouragement, even depression. Uh, People in the Bible, Elijah the prophet, went through a, a, a deep depression and discouragement, so much that he wanted to die. John the Baptist... The person that Jesus said is probably the greatest of all men to be born of women. John the Baptist was in prison, discouraged and was doubting the Messiah. okay? Uh, even Jesus it says cried out to God with loud suffering tears. when he was, in, uh, when he was uh, being tempted in the wilderness he needed a spirit. He had the angels came and they ministered to him. in his humanity he needed uh, encouragement. He asked his disciples to pray with him while he was uh, suffering in the garden and being tempted to go to the and being you know wanting to be obedient to Christ to to the Father to the Father and go to the cross and he was being tempted by Satan not to go to the cross. So it's normal to feel discouragement. It's normal to go through difficult um, difficult times. Don't think that God is mad at you. Don't think that you're abnormal. That you're a subpar Christian. In fact, I would say this when you're probably. Walking in the direction that God wants you to go is when you're probably going to face the most spiritual warfare, the most discouragement. Uh, that's what I have found in my life. When I, and I've seen it when young believers, you know, when people get baptized here or they, they start actually like saying, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, I'm going to repent, I'm going to follow Christ. And they start actually trying to pick up their Bible every day and start thinking about other people and sharing the gospel. All of a sudden, boom, all this stuff starts happening. And 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 that's not an accident. Ephesians six says that we're in a spiritual battle. Uh, we don't we're not warring against flesh and blood. And so this this whole idea of encouragement is so important. Uh, here's a little fun little bonus trivia question today. I don't have any candy or prizes to give you. I could maybe throw out a bee for you. Got some bees. By the way, thank you for Brad Mayer for getting stung yesterday. He was shaving a tree over here and a uh, took a tree down and a beehive came out and. I think he got hit six times. Some of us, others got hit, but uh, uh, but that it does start with a B. There's a guy in the Bible who is named the son of encouragement. Uh, his actual real name was Joseph, but in the book of Acts, he was known as the encourager. Uh, anybody know uh, who that guy is? Starts with a B. Now I, I was doing this with the students at Edge the other night because we were uh, this actually this study kind of came out of something that I did at Edge. And I want to also give credit to uh, Christina Fox, who wrote an article on this, on uh, placefortruth.org. Uh, some of the stuff that I'm going to share with you, I uh, really resonated with what she said. But I was doing this with our students a uh, couple weeks ago, and I was asking the kids, you know, who is this person that is called the son of encouragement or the encourager? And they didn't know who it was, so I started singing this. I love you, you love me. Now, I know you guys know I don't sing up here. Um, but uh, anybody know who that is? Barney, yes, yes. Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. You say, who's Barnabas? Barnabas was the guy in the book of Acts who, when the church was afraid because Saul had just got converted, he was murdering Christians and he became Paul. Well, guess who was the one who took Paul and helped disciple him and then went to the church and said, hey, this guy's for real. You guys need to, to realize that he is going to be, you know, used by God. And they were all, like, afraid. He, oh, you can't trust Paul. He was encouraging. He encouraged Paul. And then there was another guy named John Mark, who was Paul's disciple, who kind of fell away and kind of, like, gave up on his faith for a little while. And guess what Barney did? Barnabas did. He came alongside him, and he loved him, and he encouraged him. And he, said, and he actually disagreed with Paul. By the way, it's possible for two Spirit-filled believers to disagree on non-essentials. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see it happen. And, uh, and, and Barnabas said, no, I'm going to take John Mark under my wing. I'm going to encourage him. I know he deserted the faith uh, and he let us down earlier, but I believe in this guy. I believe in second chances. Come on, Peter, you, you've had 15 second chances. Come on. And so he took John Mark and, he, and he, uh, he encouraged them. Let me read to you guys from Acts 14 real fast. It says this, this is Barnabas and Paul. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Look at verse 22, Acts 14, 22. They were What were they doing? They were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in early church. In in each church, and with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Encouragement makes it easier to live in a fallen world in a holy way. It makes it easier to love as Jesus loved. Encouragement gives hope, it helps through times of discipline and testing, it nurtures patience and kindness. Encouragement makes it easier for us to sacrifice our own desires for the advancement of God's kingdom. So let's dive into this. You guys ready? I think you are. All right, I'm going to give you four biblical truths about uh, biblical about bibi- four truths about biblical encouragement. All right, the first one is it is Christ-centered. It is Christ-centered. It, 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 your encouragement is predominantly going to come from Jesus Christ in your relationship with Him by applying His death and His resurrection to our life. That's why if you don't get the gospel right now, if you're not really sure you know, what it means to be a Christian, you're still trying to earn your way to heaven or something, or, or you're doing religion as a checklist, you know, and you're trying to just get some inspiration today, you might miss this, and I don't want you to miss it. It's Christ-centered. Let me uh, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, one of the greatest passages. It comes right after Hebrews 11, the, the Hall of Faith. All these people who ex- exercise faith, some of them died, some of them were killed, they were tortured, some of them, it says, you know, they, they received the promise after they died. Uh, Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay? I'm going to get in trouble right now, but Kurt Kolseth just came up to me today and showed me a picture of an owl in his, uh, in his vicinity that he saw with a rat trap on his stuck on his, on his uh, claw. And uh, Kurt, being the, the kind man that he was, was calling everybody, trying to get this uh, wildlife come to, get, to get this trap off, this, this, this owl's thing, because this, this rat trap is you know, kind of caught in there. I don't know if you've seen pictures of eagles going down and picking up fish out of the water. It's amazing. You know how they just swoop down and they just grab the fish. I once saw a National Geographic a, 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 an eagle swoop down and get a fish that was too big. <laughs> and literally the fish took the bird into the water. <laughs> you know, that's a picture right here of this verse. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. There's a lot of things that entangle us. And uh, encouragement helps us to to get rid of this. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Look at verse 2. Fixing our eyes on who? I love you guys. You're all looking at me. You're not looking at your Bible. (laughs) Fixing your eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scoring its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus. Biblical encouragement gets you to focus on Jesus, and particularly what about him, what he did for you at the cross, and what he accomplished through the resurrection. That's going to get you through. I think of uh, I was reading the story of Peter when he walked on water, you know, and you know what's interesting about that story is that it's in uh, it's in Matthew and it's in Luke, but it's not in Mark, and Mark is the actually pre- is Peter's preaching notes. Mark actually, Peter. Like most people believe that Peter gave Mark his ideas, a lot of his notes for what what he was going to write. But the story of Mark, of Peter walking on the water, is not in Mark. And some people might say, oh, well, you know, he didn't want everybody to know he was a failure. No, that's not it. It's actually the opposite. The point of the story in that story is not that, you know, that he didn't have enough faith. The point is, is that Jesus was faithful, Jesus was the one walking on the water. Jesus was the one who gave him the power to to walk on the water. Jesus was the one who reached down when he failed and picked him up. And so the whole Gospel of Mark is about discipleship failure. But Peter particularly leaves that part out of him walking on the water. He has Jesus walking on the water, but he doesn't have that part because the reality is it's not about Peter as much as it is about Jesus. And we need to focus on Christ when when circumstances you know what's interesting um, in the bible you'll notice that most often especially paul in the new testament and many times in the gospels the the disciples don't don't always pray for a change of circumstances when you're going you know somebody once said when you're going through hell keep going <laughs> don't stay there you know when you feel like you're going through hell just keep going don't stop and a lot of us we always go through hell or we go through difficult times And we pray for God to change the circumstances. But what really God wants to change is us. And he wants us to trust him. That's the whole point of the walking on the water. That's the whole point of Christ-centered encouragement. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 15. We often read this at funerals. I think we need to read it more often. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Verse 55, where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at the next verse, verse 58. Therefore, because of that, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Christ-centered encouragement focuses on what Jesus did on the cross for us that we couldn't do for ourselves and what he did in the resurrection. He overcame sin and death. There is a victory. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how dark it is. How many of you have ever been up at 3 a.m.? Yeah, (laughs) some of you were up at 3 a.m. last night. Um, I won't say who, but I know some people. Um, But uh, yeah, they say it's the darkest time of night. I like that phrase, you know, the night is darkest just before the dawn. The night is darkest just before the dawn. Why? Because, you know what, no matter how bad it gets, how dark the tunnel is, every morning the light, the sun rises. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. How do we know that? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. How many of you know who Chuck Colson is? Raise your hand if you've heard of Chuck Colson. Chuck, Chuck Colson was one of the guys who was arrested with Richard Nixon in, in the Watergate scandal in the 70s, okay? Went to jail. Uh, he was uh, a person who did not know God. He was in it for the power, in it for the glory, was all for himself, and they got busted. And uh, when he was in prison, guess what? He looked up and he found Jesus Christ, and he found the gospel, and he found that God loved him even though he was a sinner. And he found out, and he, and he wrestled with the truth of Christianity. He wrestled with, is Jesus Christ really who he says he was? And I don't know if, if that's where some of you are today. Uh, you know, and maybe you're wondering about the resurrection. You know. And I would say the resurrection is the greatest proof of Christianity. This is what he said after he became a Christian. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men, 12 disciples testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? absolutely impossible biblical encouragement points to Christ who he is what he has done he is the conquering king who now intercedes for us uh, the, through the father his spirit lives within us comforting, instructing, guiding and transforming us so as you think about encouragement it starts with Christ number two I need to go backwards in my notes because I kind of switched this this morning it's spiritual it is spiritual Biblical encouragement is spiritual. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you tune out. I've told you about the kid in my youth group several years ago who came from a real difficult home, and she would say, "Oh, all I hear you guys say is blah 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 blah. Jesus loves you, you know." And she she just did, she spiritually was not able to receive the word. Okay, but biblical encouragement is spiritual. You say, "What does that mean?" It comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay, who is the Holy Spirit? guess what? Remember I, I taught you a new word today? Parakaleo. Guess what Jesus said? I'm going to send you another helper, an advocate. Guess what that word was? Paraklete, parakletos, the one who comes alongside you. All right, let me show you this really quickly, some verses. Uh, those of you who take notes, write these down. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate a paraclete, to be with you forever. That's the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 says, But the the paraclete, the advocate, the paracletos, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will instruct you regarding all things and and cause you to remember everything that I have told you. Do you ever wonder how we know the Bible was, you know, how the Bible was got written and how we can trust it? We believe that the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles. to to write it. You say, well, how did that work? Well, through the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26. But when the paraclete or the advocate, the counselor, there's a lot of words that are used to translate this this idea of encourager. He's an advocate, like he stands as a lawyer for you, you know, pleading your case. He's an encourager. This is the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says, whom I will send... To you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who comes forth from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. John sixteen seven says. Nevertheless, uh, um, I don't have John sixteen seven here, but first John two one. My little children, I'm writing this to you so that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a, a, one who stands before us as an advocate, the advocate, and that's that's the Holy Spirit. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that biblical encouragement comes from being Christ-centered, number one. Number two, it's spiritual. And it's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit in you. I think a lot of times we want God to change the circumstances. We want God to do something for us. And God is more interested in doing something in us and transforming us. Let me give you one more verse to look up. Ephesians 3. Actually, that's a lie. There's going to be more verses today. Sorry. Um, Ephesians 3. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And this is something that we pray a lot of times at prayer meeting. If you're ever wondering what to pray, how do I pray for people, pray Scripture. Pray the the prayers of Paul. This is Ephesians 3. He says, I pray. He was praying for the Ephesian church. He said, "I, I pray that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints how high and how long and how tall and how deep the love of Christ is that surpasses knowledge so that you may be ful- ful- filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if you're hearing blah, 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 blah right now, <laughs> Um, it's because you don't get this. And this is important. This is why you might miss it. And this is why some people don't stay in the faith. Because they come to church and they think they've tried it, but they haven't. It was funny. Uh, we were in a worship planning meeting this week. And Luke brought up the quote that I, that's that been on my heart for like the past couple weeks. And I've been saying, you know, you know how you preach sermons in your mind to nobody. You know, or you're you're teaching lessons, and you have like thoughts in your mind. And I was saying, if there was one quote right now that I could tell this generation of young people and people in America, besides a biblical quote, it would be G.K. Chesterton's quote that the Christian the Christian faith has not um, been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Let me say that again: the Christian faith has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. I believe that with all my heart. That's why our student ministry is called Edge, because I believe that most of our students are at the edge of trusting Christ. And it's really, really scary to step off. I don't know, I remember the first time I went rappelling. Anybody ever hear go rappelling down a mountain? Batman, you know what I'm talking about? You got to go down like the, the whole thing. I'm afraid of heights. I was so scared. We took us to Upper Peninsula, Michigan over this big cliff. I couldn't even see the bottom. It was the cliff. It was like a big, big, big mountain. And, and I had to go first because I was a youth leader, you know, and I'm, a, I'm like afraid I had to be the example. And so he gets me on this thing and I'm not very strong in the arms as you can see. So I'm like, there's no way I'm going to hold myself up. And I got this beaner thing. And they're just like, sit back, just rest. You've got to sit back and just lean all the way back. Well, I don't trust easily and I don't trust myself and I don't trust other things. <laughs> So, you know what I did? I didn't trust. I didn't lean back. And I just went flinging and flying. Bang. Luckily, I had a helmet on. I banged my head against the mountain. I was just kind of flailing is the better term for it instead of rappelling down the mountain. Okay, And, and I, I share that with you because that's what trust in Christ is. That's what the Holy Spirit is wants to do to us. He wants us to take that step of faith. He does want us to come out on the water. Not literal water, but he wants us to take that step of faith. And that's scary. It's scary for our youth because we're we're afraid to repent of our sin. We love our sin. We love it. We love our comforts. And we don't want to obey God. And and, and 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 the gospel isn't me trying hard to you know work my way down and up the mountain. It's me resting in what Christ has done and allowing Him to do that in me. Allow the gospel to take root in me. So I you know it's a spiritual thing. And I encourage you to uh, consider that, and, and and those of you who have, some of you have tried this ministry thing before, and you've given up because you've seen you've seen brothers and sisters in Christ fall away, you've seen you've been rejected. Don't give up. Pray, because you and I are not in control of people's hearts. We we want to pray. Look what Paul prays. He prays that they that that the spirit that they be strengthened from within. This is a spiritual battle that we're in, and that's why we pray. And and some of you will never get this in the power of prayer. We don't just pray because it's like the checklist or it's like the thing to do or when something's bad. We pray because we're asking God to move in people's hearts and to move in our hearts. All right, we need to move on. Uh, uh, Biblical encouragement is Christ-centered. It is spiritual. It's based in the Holy Spirit working in you, being full of the Spirit. Number three, it builds. It builds. Okay, Paul encourages them to encourage one another and build each other up. It builds your found the foundation in a, in a person's life. Who is building into you? Who is coming alongside you and building you? You say, well, Tony, how does it build? It builds particularly, it isn't about making someone feel better in the moment. I could do that for you today. Maybe I'm not, I don't know. But moments go, come and go. It's about reminding them of solid truth. Okay? It's not about feelings, it's about truth. And the first thing is knowing the truth. Please turn to Hebrews 3. What I should have done this morning, possibly, and this is me second-guessing myself, is preach on this passage. I was tempted to. Hebrews 3, 12 to 15. But I'm going to read it to you. If you have a Bible, turn there. One of the most powerful and scary... All the book of Hebrews is kind of scary to me. A lot 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 of freaky things in there. Um... It was written to a bunch of Jewish Christians who were thinking about going back to Judaism. And and the writer, some people think it was Apollos, who was saying, Christ is better. He is better than your your religion, your Judaism. And uh, he's always comparing them to the Old Testament. So sometimes you can get lost in the book of Hebrews if you don't know some of the Old Testament things. But uh, chapter 3, Hebrews 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Wow. If there's one thing I don't want, is that. Do I struggle with sometimes seeing that? Knowing that that propensity is in me? Yeah. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The number one thing that's going to turn you away from God is unbelief. You know, if you're, there's no rating of sins in the Bible, but the core sin really is pride and unbelief. All the other sins are just symptoms of those two. Think about that for a moment. God says, trust me with something, and we decide whether we're going to trust him or not. And we decide whether we're going to trust him, whether this is good or not. Every sin or every unhealthy choice is a choice to say, can I trust God to define what is good for me and provide what is good for me? So he says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But look at verse 13, and this is the key verse. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Wow. Encourage one another, strengthen one another, appeal to one another. How often? Once a week. Once a month. No, daily, it says. Daily. As long as it is called today. Why? Because our sins are easily hardened. Our hearts are easily hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin tricks us, doesn't it? Remember the garden? The Garden of Eden? You can eat from any tree in the garden. It's all good. And Satan comes along and says, you can't eat from any trees? Oh, God is such a killjoy. You can't eat from any tree? Come on, just eat. No, he said we can eat from any tree. We'll, have, we'll die if we eat from that tree. You won't die. There's no consequences of sin. You can get away with it. Everyone else is. Look around you. Most of the rich people in the world are wicked anyway, right? I mean, so you get all these these this deceitful thoughts. Verse 14. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. What's the conviction? The gospel. Holding to Christ. Holding to the gospel. There's a lot of ifs in uh, Hebrews. You are a Christian if you persevere. If. The true test of a Christian is one who perseveres. Okay? And and then he says in verse 15, As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay? So I just want to encourage you to, uh, it builds. How does it build? By knowing the truth. But not just knowing it, but obeying it. Obeying the truth. You remember in Romans 12 where Paul says, I urge you therefore, brothers, it's it's encourage again, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. He's always encouraging us to actually do it. I sent out an email last week to some of you, quotes of the weekend. I don't know if you caught this one from Bob Goff. He says, I'm all for getting together with men and women in small groups around Scripture and letting it just wash over us. But for me, I've been meeting with the same 10 guys for like 15 years now. But we don't have a Bible study every Friday. We have a Bible doing. I like that. We don't go to Bible study. We go to Bible doing. Some of us in church life have gotten in the, uh, we we get so muddied down into Bible study that we forget that the purpose of Bible study is to obey it, is to do it, to become doers of the word. So how do we build? How do we encourage? By knowing the truth, by obeying the truth. And then the last one, is uh, it it leads us to unity and glorifying God. Let me read you Romans 15. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Romans 15.5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that it always goes back to the glory of God. And sometimes I think we forget that. The purpose of encouragement is to build us up, right? So that we know the truth and obey the truth. But what's the ends? The ends is that we live lives worthy of the glory of God. We're not here for ourselves. We're here to manifest. You know, it says when David died in the book of Acts, it says, when it's talking about David in the Old Testament, it says he served God's purposes in his generation. Wouldn't that be great to be said of you and I, that we served God's purposes, we glorified him. So the purpose of encouragement and the building, this building up, is knowing the truth, obeying the truth, but it's also uniting in the truth to glorify God. Does that make sense? All right, last one, here we go. Sometimes encouragement is often silent. It's a ministry of presence. Someone contacted me recently of somebody who was going through a difficult time, and they said, well, you go to them because you have the words. You have the words. You're the pastor with the words. And I said to them, no, you have the presence. You have the relationship. I will go, but you need to go. Your presence means much more than my words. And sometimes when you're going through something difficult, You don't need somebody to come in with a bunch of truths. You just need somebody to be with you and to sit with you and be the presence of Jesus. And so uh, biblical encouragement, it's Christ-centered, it's spiritual, the Holy Spirit, it builds in the truth, but it sometimes is often silent. It's a ministry of presence. It doesn't attempt to solve the mystery of someone's trial or answer their question, Why? It's not about advice giving. It's comfortable with grieving and lamenting, with tears and cries. It often encourages just by being present. It comforts through hugs, a hot-cooked meal, or a handwritten note. It sits in the dust and ashes with a saddened heart for as long as it takes remaining with them through the dark winter of grief. As believers, we need biblical encouragement. We need to give it to others. Let me give you one more verse, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves have received, have been comforted by God. So this idea of don't be don't be like oh I need to know all the Bible answers in order to encourage people no. It's about being close to Jesus. It's about being connected to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's about building up in truth, but sometimes it's just about presence. And it's just about being with people. Let me, uh, as I wrap up here right now, um, want to quote another G.K. Chesterton. Because I know a lot of you are going through difficult times and you say, yeah, Tony, but you don't know what, I, what this is. Yeah, but, yeah, but. G.K. Chesterton, in uh, his book Orthodoxy, said, joy which is the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based on what's happening. Okay? It's based on the moments. Joy is a deep, settled confidence that knowing that God is in control and that he wins in the end. You might lose a few battles, but he's going to win the war. The war has been won because of the resurrection. Look at what he says. He says, For the non-believer, only peripheral questions can be answered. Fundamental ones can't be answered. So joy is only peripheral and sorrow is fundamental. A naturalist, an atheist, a secularist believes there is nothing beyond the grave. When we are dead, it's done. We are just dancing to our DNA, the product of time plus chance plus matter. So at the core of life is nothing. There is no meaning unless we make it. And we make it in peripheral things with the pleasures of food and family and sex. But that's all we have. And when we can't experience them, then we get depressed. Or when they don't deliver, we get depressed. But look at what he says. He says, for the believer, though, joy is fundamental and sorrow is peripheral. Said differently, the the non-believer's pleasure is ultimately tragic because it exists in a universe of despair. The believer's tragedy, even the cross, is glorious because it exists in a universe of joy. Joy, poignant as grief, beyond the walls of the world. Because of the resurrection, there is a joy that that overcomes the grief that we that exists. The best way I can illustrate that with you is: uh, any sports fans here? I've used this analogy many times before, but if you if it's your second time hearing it, that means you need to share it with somebody else. Okay. Um, any Milwaukee Brewer fans here? Or how about Wisconsin Badgers? Any Badgers? I know. Uh, This guy's a Michigan guy. Uh, They were talking to Ohio State people sometimes. All right, so 1982, Wisconsin Badgers are playing the Michigan State Spartans at uh, Badger Stadium uh, in Wisconsin, and it's halftime, and and the Badgers are getting blown out. I think it's like 28 to nothing or 32 to nothing, something like that, okay? But all the fans in the stands are celebrating, and this is in, in Wisconsin, and these are Wisconsin fans, okay? This is a riddle, by the way. I don't know if you guys remember this one. All right? Why are they celebrating? No, they are not drunk, okay? They are aware of what's going on in the stadium. They are upset about what's going on in the field. They are mad that their team is getting killed. Why are they celebrating, though? Because at that time, on that October balmy afternoon, they were listening to portable radios about 70 miles down the highway at County Stadium. The Milwaukee Brewers had just beaten the St. Louis Cardinals in Game 3 of the World Series. So the reality in front of them was devastating, but the reality that they were tuned into was overwhelmingly joyful for those Milwaukee, Wisconsin fans. I think that's a great illustration of our reality and how we deal with life. Yeah, there's a lot of devastating reality in front of us on the daily, but there is a reality that's deeper that tells us of what's really going on and that Jesus Christ is still on the throne He is still Lord. He died. He rose again. He won the war. He's going to bring about his victory. And we can rejoice in that, not not, 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 not not superficially, but knowing that it's truth and allowing that truth to play out in our lives in the field. I want to challenge you as I close. Who is encouraging you today? And who are you encouraging? If you need prayer, uh, I want to encourage you to go to Jesus Christ. He's available 24-7. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You can go. But you know what? Sometimes it's good to just go with others, brothers in Christ. If you've not been in a life group before, life groups are meant to do life with each other. We need each other. We, We exist best in community. And you know one of the reasons for that? It's because we all have blind spots. anybody ever hear ever watch American Idol? Any American Idol fans or America's Got Talent? All these network TV talent or, or shows are the f- are the best the first four weeks. You know why? Because the first four weeks you got a bunch of people up there to get up there and they sing and they can't sing a lick, half of them, and it's hilarious. And you're like, why are they up there? You know? And it, and the and the first couple weeks is to weed out all these people. But you see, these people don't realize that they can't sing, so they get up there and they sing. And the the judges are kind of like, no, I'm sorry, you know, (laughs) we love you, but this ain't going to work out. You and I, it's called blind spots. We all have blind spots. We can't always see everything about ourselves. That's why we need other believers. That's why we need to be in community. Because they can see things that we can't, you and I can't, about ourselves. And they can come alongside us and love us and encourage us and speak life into us. Even yesterday at the uh, at the men's group uh, meeting, you know, I had a, a, another brother in Christ come up to me and ask me personal questions that encouraged me, and he gave me some encouragement that I needed, and uh, and and through something that I was going through with my family, and that happens in community. It happens in relationships, and so my encouragement to you guys is obviously to go to Christ, but also to not neglect the gathering of believers, and uh, and 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 to be involved. In community let's pray father i ask in jesus name that you would be the one that encourages us today lord i pray that we would go to you thank you for jesus thank you that you are the author and finisher of our faith thank you that you love us no matter what and thank you again for the gospel father it's not pull myself up by my own bootstraps lord it's it's i'm sinking i'm drowning but you you and your grace you you picked me up your grace was enough Lord, I thank you for that. And I thank you that your grace is enough to get us through the Christian life. Thank you for the grace of other people. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is grace-giving to one another, that we would love one another, and that when we're caught in sin, that we'd come alongside each other and gently restore each other. That we're, when we're struggling with the truth, that we would remind each other of the truth and build each other up. That our Bible studies would be Bible doings, that we'd actually put it into practice. And Lord, I ask God that the Holy Spirit would be active in all of us. Father, we love you and we thank you, God. Take our lives and let it be, I ask God. I pray that we would surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.